and when you're starting your own business and then you're building an organization, you are literally creating something out of nothing mm. and have to take the time, even if it feels like you're slowing down, you have to take the time to sketch that all out and you're going to make changes and you're going to make adjustments, but to create that structure because most people don't want to operate in a nebulous space. Welcome to the Invest Local Podcast, where we uncover the brilliance of local businesses that are slugging it out, serving their customers and giving back to their own communities. Check us out at vicinitycapital.com and give us a follow on social media. We'd love to hear from you. Also, we are not making any investment recommendations, nor are we providing any sort of investment advice. Now on with the show. Welcome, folks, to the Invest Local Podcast. I'm your host, Malcolm McDonald, and with me today are Nicole and Brian, the founders of Fireforge Crafted Beer there in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, super excited to have y'all on the show today and uh, to hear a little bit about the uh, the making of Fireforge and y'all's somewhat unconventional uh, backgrounds <laughs> in terms of uh, brewing. So um, thank y'all for being on the show today. Oh, thanks, Malcolm. We appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good to hear. It was a nice, nice change of pace from the usual. That's right. Yeah. Well, I know I was thinking, um, you know, uh, coming from y'all, because y'all both have kind of corporate, more more business backgrounds. Um, and so it's it's always funny to to interview a small business owner who who hasn't always been in kind of, you know, in the trenches, so to speak, but has done kind of the corporate thing. It's like pulling you back out into this uh, kind of <laughs> business air quotes world. But um, but and I want to dig into that a little bit. But first of all, I was curious, where where did the name Fireforge come from in the first place? Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll give you the, the, the shorter version of the story. <laughs> uh, we, had, we had a mission and credo for kind of what we envisioned doing before we even had a company name. And that was to create with passion and serve with enthusiasm. Mm. And that kind of kept us grounded during uh, the, the planning and the fundraising and you know, all the things that, that you guys you know, do when, when helping clients. Uh, as we were trying to get started. And we did finally have to commit to a name. And luckily, while during a drive going to the mountains to visit friends, we get really inspired uh, when we're up in those areas. Uh, Brian actually thought of it. And Fire and Forge, or Fire Forge, and Fire came from that that passion and that burning desire to Mm. bring something forth. And we also used fire when we're brewing. And then with Forge, that was that hands-on making, creating. And so Fireforge just kind of flowed together. And uh, we felt that that had to be it because then it ended up tying back to what we were wanting to do all along. Mm, I love that. And I, I felt that coming into Fireforge. It's it's just a very warm place. It's very hands-on. Like you 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 sense that as soon as you walk in the um in the the rolling doors. <laughs> well, and there also may have been a study, I can't reference it. I'm no expert, but I read a business book once where it said, Hey, if you have alliteration in your business name, yeah. you're automatically successful. So <laughs> we found well, let's at least get that taken care of. I love it. That's very smart. And yeah, and it, it it's uh, it definitely rolls off the tongue. So <laughs> very cool. So uh, tell me, you know, I mentioned y'all's kind of corporate backgrounds and, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, what y'all used to do and, and why you decided to, to leave the corporate world. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I, I actually started off uh, my career as a programmer. I was doing web development 
Um, and the timing was great on that because uh, I got out of college uh, my, with my un undergrad in computer science in 1999, which was right before the internet bubble burst. And I, I started off with a, a tech startup in Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, programmed for about two years, but quickly realized that it wasn't really what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And fortunately uh, for me, I got laid off about two months before the whole company went under, um, but that provided an opportunity for me to uh, reevaluate my career trajectory. <laughs> so uh, in true form of not really knowing what I wanted to do, I went back to grad school and um, I went ahead and uh, I, I got into the uh, MBA program at the University of South Carolina. And um, rather than going back into coding, I wanted to take more of a project management, you know, more of a management path, I guess you could say. So I'm um, latched on with a small business uh, startup there. It was a, a three of us doing web development. So then I was like, man, well, maybe it's time for me to just go get a real job. And so uh, <laughs> I, I went to work for a, a large corporation called uh, CSC as a, a business analyst, and then realized I didn't really like corporate either. Um, <laughs> took another job with a small business, a small marketing agency in Charleston, and uh, realized I didn't really like that either. So I, I, I started to notice a pattern. And it was uh, right around that 2008 range when I decided that, you know, I, I probably just don't really like working for other people and just really want to work for myself. So around that uh, May of 2008, I ended up quitting that job and making the commitment to kind of go out on my own. And I actually have uh, May 16th as my, I've marked that on my calendar as my Independence Day, um, because that's when I just sort of let myself out into the, <laughs> into the world and, uh, without really having much of an idea of what I wanted to do. And then, well, also around that time though, you were starting to homebrew. Oh yeah. So, that's, that's a good point. So yeah, while so there's all this exploration, he's just brewing yeah, just small brewing. batches of just beer. Brewing beer. <laughs> yeah. And you know, when we first started, you know, I just really started to get into craft beer around the 2003, 2004 range, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, never really thought about it as a profession or like wanting to start a business necessarily. Cause even when, you know, when I quit that job in Charleston um, and that's when we decided to move to Greenville to kind of just get a fresh start, um, you know, beer wasn't necessarily the motivation for that. You know, mm -hmm. it was, um, you know, still more staying in that tech space and trying to figure out how I could sort of carve out side businesses that I could cobble together to, to make a, to make a living off of. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, sort of in a parallel life, <laughs> um, you know, there's all this beer stuff going on. I started writing a beer blog in 2007, mm. um, started homebrewing around that same time. And, you know, so I started getting more into the craft beer culture and the, and the world of beer. And, you know, after brewing, homebrewing for three or four years, started to, you know, brew beer that I thought was about as good as I could buy in the store. Uh, not every time. I've definitely had some fails. Um, but, uh, and even, even today still have still have some beer that doesn't quite turn out. <laughs> um, you know, in that exploration time, you know, I had an opportunity actually to take a brewing job at Thomas Creek in Greenville. Um, and right at that same time, I was also exploring possibly going back to work and again, a real job. Um, so I had an uh, interview with the Fleur Corporation. Um, had, they had an office, a big office here in Greenville. And it was sort of that fork in the road moment where it's like, all right, I've got this beer job that's going to pay 26,000 a year, or <laughs> I could make two to three times that going back to cube land. Yeah. And, um, 
and you know it's not doesn't make necessary for the most glamorous decision it's not what would happen in the movie but i took the money and um, <laughs> it really worked out well in that respect um you know we i was able to continue honing my brewing and really started to bounce around a lot of different ideas um you know the brewery wasn't even the first beer idea we had mm -hmm. you know we originally wanted to start a bottle shop and like a, a growler type uh like tap room where you can mm -hmm. fill growlers because that was really starting to become trendy and, and nothing that like time. that had opened in greenville yet yeah and but then when we found out that one was opening yeah we're like oh wait uh, no never mind <laughs> yeah little did we know that we were like oh man i don't think greenville could support two oh, beer no. stores oh, i mean no. right <laughs> so uh yeah shows you how much we know about yeah. um, hey that's a good thing to be wrong about <laughs> yeah, yeah. the amount of beer lovers in your town yeah, yeah we, we severely <laughs> underestimated you greenville uh, and so we're like all right let's just go for it let's just try to start our own brewery fast forwarding you know in that story i mean it took us five years i would say from the initial concept to you know to when we actually opened the doors in the summer of 2018 so wow it took quite a long time hmm. what took so long from idea like hey this is this is really what we want to do and you'd already been brewing for what five or six years at that point so it, you know you kind of knew knew that you could do it um what what took so long from that idea to actually kind of open the doors well two things i think of immediately is uh money and location hmm. and one thing we didn't it was our first time um, raising capital to start our own venture. And also, um, you know, trying to pick and vet where we'd want to build, build Fireforge was a big decision, just evaluating um, traffic patterns mm -hmm. and what's up and coming and where, you know, what is the natural flow of where people want to go or what's perceived as a convenient place to go, but also what can we afford? Um, you know, we're not going to be on main street. We thought we'd be off in a warehouse, like five miles away from downtown, but we got really lucky. Yeah. But you know, and that takes a lot of time. Uh, we had starts and stops evaluating property where you kind of have to go down a path for a while to then ultimately disqualify it for for whatever reason so that yeah. takes yeah, I mean, a lot I, of time I, I kept a spreadsheet where i tracked all the different yeah. locations we evaluated not necessarily visited in person but just that we thought could work i mean it was it was over 60 <clears throat> properties in wow. greenville and in the surrounding area before we and we had a couple that we thought were pretty would, would work but again you know as we started digging into some of them the the project costs just would have gotten way mm -hmm. outside of our budget it's and uh and even when we decided on the place we're at now it still got outside of our budget um, but fortunately we didn't know that at the time uh, so we decided to move forward anyway but uh, it, it all worked out well what's what do they say it's gonna everything takes uh twice as long costs twice as much and <laughs> oh yeah makes you, uh, yeah one of my favorite artifacts <laughs> from our startup process is um and, and we have it still hanging up in our office at the brewery we designed a poster that was like going to be that we would take to events and stuff like that. That was going to, you know, like a coming soon type thing. Yeah. So it just has like a picture of me and Nicole in front of the building. And it says opening summer 2017. <laughs> and 
Well, we didn't actually open until the summer of 2018. So, you know, to your point, um, you know, I, I think partly you have to have a naive and slightly insane optimism yeah. in order to pull something like this off. And you just have to keep pushing as hard as you can to open. And sometimes being a little delusional kind of mm -hmm. keeps you going yeah. um, and not knowing exactly what you know, all the hurdles and everything that are going to come into play. Cause if, if you'd have known that at the time, you probably wouldn't have done it. So uh, you just got to keep going. I like the way you describe it. That was like a nicer way. I was thinking kind of ignorant belief that yes. it's, you're, you're just going to do it and you just keep putting one, you just keep doing the behaviors to get you one step closer. Yeah. Well, there is, I mean, there is such a truth to that though. The, I love the mantra, you know, do one more, go one more. And sometimes it's literally just one step in front of the next, you know, well, we've got, like I said, I've got three little girls. And so I've, I listened to a lot of frozen and one, <laughs> one of the songs actually uh, that I love is I can't remember the title, but it's, it says just do the next right thing. So I think sometimes in, in business, you just, you do the next, you do the thing in front of you and you don't worry about, I mean, you've got to have some long-term vision, but someday it is just doing the next the next right thing so um no that's awesome um and clearly it's 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 working out that that persistence <laughs> is paying off for y'all so um so i'm curious how did those kind of corporate jobs and we didn't really talk about yours nicole but yeah. for you as well you know how did y'all's corporate backgrounds prepare you for for fireforge and and then how do they how do they not what ended up being kind of <laughs> learning on the fly that, that, that was a fun question to 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 think through, it's like, how do you want to, how do you want to answer that? So I just a brief about my background, I'll tie it back, is that I was a, look what you can do with an English major. Yay. <laughs> so yeah, I graduated from USC, uh, undergrad in English, knew that I wasn't going to be, say, a, a published author. I, I didn't want to go into teaching. I didn't want to go into law school. So what do you do? You, you try to hack it in the business world. I'd never taken a marketing class or anything like that, but uh, got my foot in the door with a, with a marketing agency as a, as a copywriter. And because it was a small firm, you end up learning everything. Mm. So it was always kind of in that, um, you know, working for smaller agencies, but our clients were very corporate. And you know, just stayed in that that space for a while. So really, having that foundation and watching how technology and marketing, you know, all of that has changed, especially over the last two decades. You know, I'd always kind of had my my hands in that. So that's been very helpful in how we market for for Fireforge. In that it is about you know, it's about drawing people in and trying to make that relational and not transactional and then marketing and experience, an experience that people haven't experienced yet, but may have heard good things or are curious. So it was gonna be very marketing driven with a taproom focus model and just about encouraging people to, to, to come in and, and try us out. Um, I'm not cold calling at the moment to get people to buy a beer at Fireforge. <laughs> um, I have been known to cold call in my past. Door to door. Uh, and, and, I, I, and, and there's an element of that when you're out, when you're trying to do outreach or maybe drawing in corporate events and things like that. Um, I also spent five years in, uh, in the kind of the professional development realm, working with uh, salespeople and customer care folks on how to how to communicate, how to sell, how to upsell, how to cross-sell more effectively. And, and what's funny is that 
it's laid us a really great foundation and a lot of great tools as we've, as we've grown our team, we're trying to encourage them to, Hey, just let people know we actually have beer to go. You don't have to make them buy it, but just right. let them know it's available, <laughs> you know, so trying to find ways to upsell and cross sell without, you know, without coming across as, as pushy is really important mm. uh, for us as a culture. Uh, but what's interesting is that you might teach that stuff and work with clients on those things it feels completely different when it's your own people. (laughs) It's not like you leave the meeting. You're like, okay, you work on that and we'll see you next week. And you see them tomorrow and you're like reinforcing exactly what you just talked about (laughs) and trying to be patient and find ways to be creative and nurturing to keep everyone going in that, in that direction. So yeah. yeah, just because I taught it and trained it and coached it doesn't necessarily mean I'm really kicking ass at that with my own company. <laughs> but that's so, uh, that's so true. I mean, talking about someone and teaching something is so much different than applying it yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what's one thing you said that's really interesting is that you've got these two things that you're trying to balance, which is you've got the business side, which has a bottom line. You have to make money. <laughs> you got to put food on the table, but then on the other side, you're trying to curate an experience. And so you don't want this push for revenue um, to to harm your experience. And I think kind of how you were saying is really is really beautiful. If you use cross selling and upselling as a way to curate that experience and improve the experience and, and show them that there, there are other ways to experience fire There's other ways to enjoy these beers or this experience, um, then it can actually help your bottom line without dinging your experience. It can actually enhance your, your bottom line. Um, but but to your point, you got to stay on top of it, and you got to actually. You know, it's like we kind of, you know, it's kind of as an analogy with our team. It's like we consider ourselves like beer sherpas. Mm. It's like, you know, we can't make somebody buy something, or we can't make somebody like something. But what we can do is just like let them know that it's there, or encourage them to at least try it, because you they may move into something, whether it's beer or food or wine or anything that we have, Mm -hmm. any part of the experience that they may not have even known that they like. I mean, the most common question we get when a customer comes up to the bar is, well, what's your lightest beer? Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, we've got a couple that, you know, will probably fit what you're looking for, but hey, why don't you maybe try this Belgian double, which tastes nothing like the light beer you've ever had before. And it might like, you know, cause your head to explode and like, you know, open up, it could, uh, you know, open up a whole new part of life in this sense of adventure that somebody might have. And I mean, that's kind of what happened yeah. to us, you know, a long, long time right. ago. It's like we started trying beer and, but what it, it kind of did is cultivate that sense of adventure. Mm-hmm. So you know, it spilled over into like, well, I'm going to try this new dish or this restaurant, you know, maybe an Indian place or a, an Ethiopian place, you know, experience something different that could really open up, you know, a whole new way of looking at things. Mm. No, I think that's so good. Yeah. I had one owner of a brewery that I talked to. He said, you know, having good beer is table stakes. Really a, a good brewery is about the experience and, and about you guiding them through um, the experience of drinking beer and, and, and exploration and adventure and, and all those things. Those are so much bigger than just the beer. Um, because if, if you're just coming in for a beer, like you said, you know, if if all you do is give that person the lightest beer you have, then they'll they'll just drink the lightest beer you have and they'll never experience anything new. 
me. So, and maybe that's their beer, you know, maybe sure. that's not always yeah. a bad thing, but they don't know unless you, unless you sure for them along. I love that. I love that analogy. And Brian does a little money back guarantee that if we're <laughs> say we put a flight together for a customer or we're giving them a pint of something, if they, if they don't like it, we'll, we'll just take it back and we'll drink it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And that shows confidence in your own, your own beer too, as well. So I want to bounce back because um, I'm curious on that, on the, on the corporate to corporate to, oh, to brewery experience, what did not prepare you for, <laughs> for the well, brewing experience? What was a surprise when you got into this world? Um, well, I, I would say, you know, I don't think anything can really prepare you for what we're doing. I mean, there are certain things you probably could do you know, depending on your realm, like for me, I was in more of a project management standpoint. So, you know, with, between learning how to manage projects and stay organized and create milestones and, and, and keep things on track and try to stay within budget, um, all those skills are transferable because I basically mm -hmm. have created the largest project I've ever had to manage. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like I, I get out of the corporate world because I don't like managing projects. And then what do I do? I just go back to managing a giant project. Um, <laughs> But uh, yes, life is funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't isn't life but, funny? <laughs> you know that. But there's so much that goes into this that you just have no idea until you get into it. You know, you start a brewery because you like brewing beer. And what do I no longer do? I no longer brew the beer. We we have a an awesome brewer. His name's Ken. Um, he started with us part time and and just started building his responsibilities. And now he can run the whole system by himself. So I'm just, you know, creating the recipes or, or we collaborate on the recipes actually and put together all the production schedules and ordering the materials. So it's, again, it's going back to more of that management. You know, I think the thing that was so different is actually managing a staff and mm -hmm. managing people. Like in my mm -hmm. previous career, I never actually had any direct reports. Um, so now it's, you know, we've got, we're now up to, I think 24 employees even though everyone comes from different backgrounds and we have several full-time people, some part-time people, you know, some people work here just because it's a fun job for them. Others, you know, it's just part of their, how they're piecing together their life. But, you know, I almost feels like we're at the intersection of 24 different lives and managing that, you know, is, and, or just being with people where they are at the different mm -hmm. points in their life and their career is uh, is really interesting and so it's it's constantly changing and and you know there's always an evolution there mm -hmm. that uh yeah, and managing and creating or communicating those changes and you know it's one thing when you're responsible for your own schedule and your own projects and mm -hmm. but i'm always you know thinking about well what is the impact of this decision on on different he's been drinking already uh, but what are the impacts of those decisions when it affects, does it have to adjust a process or a strategy or people or, and, you know, it's different, you know, each time, um, you know, when you think corporate, I think a lot of times structure and as someone who's had to learn how to create structure over time, you know, when you step into a certain role, say you're part of a larger, you know, you know company, you know, that, that structure has already been created or some framework is there. And when you're starting your own business and then you're building an organization, you are literally creating something out of nothing mm. and have to take the time, even if it feels like you're slowing down, you have to take the time to 
sketch that all out and you're going to make changes and you're going to make adjustments, but to create that structure, because most people don't want to operate in a nebulous space. And so I think we feel a strong responsibility to um, get input and collaborate to then continue to develop what our structure is, uh, knowing that that can change <laughs> at, at any moment. Changes frequently. It can sometimes be very tiring to always be kind of holding that together. And you, like I said, you feel like you're slowing down, but really by taking the time to do that, you actually speed up over yeah. the, if you look at the big picture. Well, and it, it, somebody has that responsibility. So if it's not you as the owners of the business, it, it naturally gets handed onto the shoulders of the employee. So I think that's incredibly powerful that y'all take that and shoulder that responsibility, because the reason you're probably moving faster is your employees aren't hindered and they're able to take the business forward at full speed. And so I think that's, that's super key. Um, and you nailed it. Nobody likes to operate in a, in a world of uncertainty as an employee, you know, as a business owner, you that's kind of where you live like well, you yes, operate like, in we said yes you said yes it's when we check that box but yeah okay <laughs> we can't um, really be upset about that <laughs> exactly exactly but your employees didn't sign up for that and so yeah. uh, you know holding that responsibility and saying hey i'm going to create order in this you know seemingly orderless and chaotic world of entrepreneurship i'm going to create some semblance of order so that um you know and that that brings i think peace and security to i mean shoot not to get you know derailed here but i see that in my family you know if, with with kids you know if i create the world is uncertain. Um, but if I create a realm and world of certainty, even with my kids, I see a sense of peace there with them. And so I think not that employees are kids, but people are people, you yeah. know, no matter how small. Um, and so I think that's, that's so true yeah. is that if you can create a, a, a world of order, um, even in your small little business, you know, employees are going to react to that and, and, and operate and with more efficiency and more freedom. And so no, I think that's yeah. a beautiful thing. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's kind of one of the things we've discovered along the, you know, the past three years is really, you know, ultimately, if the company relies on me and Nicole to actually produce things, then we're going to slow it down mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. we can only do so much as two individuals. But if we can just give people the structure and the resources to go off and do all this stuff, then, you know, there's, you know, it's the multiplier effect, you know, that's how we can really grow and, and do some things. And, it actually makes our lives so much easier in a sense that we're not trying to, to do everything ourselves. And, mm -hmm. but it's hard to give a lot of that up, you know, cause a lot of times, you know, in maybe not correctly thinking, but you, you think you're the best at it and, you know, and so you're like, well, I, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. But in, in reality, you may not be. And even if you are the best, the percentage difference, you know, between you and the person, if you train them properly or you give it to someone with the right, abilities, then, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a drop off, but it's not the end of the world. And, and overall, the company will be better for it. Yeah, your your ROI on time as a business owner is just a constant evaluation. So I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. very cool. So what's the hardest thing about running y'all's business? We've talked about some things that are kind of difficult. So we may have touched on this, but is there anything in particular that you're like, man, it's just really tough to do X? having difficult conversations with people on the team. Um, we are really, really blessed and fortunate to have an awesome group of people 
that have decided that they want to come and spend time with us and mm -hmm. uh, and work with us. We have it a lot easier, I think, than a lot of other, especially hospitality type businesses and stories I've heard from other business owners and people who've come from different environments. Um, we have it really easy, but it's still you still have to have those conversations occasionally. You know, we want to keep a drama-free workplace. We just cannot have that type of toxic negativity. The reason we wanted to start a company was to make it an awesome place to work. And so we try to maintain that um, very diligently. So, you know, if we see something that we feel like needs to be addressed, um, you know, I, one of my, I don't remember where I heard it, but it was a coach from somewhere. I'm sure he said like, hope is not a strategy. Um, you can't just hope that the situation will resolve itself. So, you know, we'll either go in, you know, you have to have that little bit, those, that five seconds of courage or whatever it is mm -hmm. to go take the initiative and say, pull the person aside or meet with the person and say, Hey, this is what we're seeing. This is what we're hearing, what's going on. Um, you know, and just really try to stay ahead of that stuff before it festers. And, mm -hmm. and that to me is, you know, one of the, one of the hardest aspects of, of running a company like this, especially, you know, again, we have 20 something people and, you know, it's, so there's a lot of interpersonal relationships mm -hmm. that, you know, we have to monitor and make sure that, you know, it's a healthy work environment. Yeah, I, I agree with Brian. Uh, this kind of kind of flows in from that is the first thing I thought of when you asked that question was was boundaries. Mm, so yeah. that boundary, whether it's emotional, um, physical, <laughs> uh, mental, and then also encouraging and coaching others on the team to create those for themselves as well. We we work really hard. We probably work too much we probably work inefficiently and when we start to see those kind we have also very hard workers on our team and so if we aren't modeling healthy behaviors around boundaries and balancing you know life commitments then how can we expect our our team to do the same even if we say hey you need to take a day off mm -hmm. if they don't see us taking a day off there's something going on where they're going to be like, I don't know if I can. Mm -hmm. So it's, that's become very important for me personally to, we got to take care of us if we're going to help take care of Fireforge. Yeah, no, I think that's really wise. And just leading by example there um, says way more, <laughs> um, <laughs> more, more is caught than taught. I always say, so yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll shift to the positive again. What's y'all's favorite part <laughs> about running Fireforge? The beer, <laughs> but, but beyond that, um, you know, beer, beer is a vehicle to create joyful experiences to bring people together and to build community. And that feels so good. Mm. That is my favorite part. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for me, it's similar. It's, you know, if it's a Friday night and, you know, the place is packed <laughs> and everyone seems to be having a good time, there's, you know, band playing over in the corner. People are actually paying us for beer. I mean, I spent 10 years giving beer away for free. So <laughs> it still amazes me that people pay us money to drink the beer. And, um, you know, so they're there, they're having a good time. They're there with their friends, their family, and, mm -hmm. you know, everyone's just relaxed and having a good time, enjoying, you know, beautiful weather. And a lot of times we'll just sit and kind of hang out and hope that nobody recognizes us and, you know, <laughs> we'll just sit and, uh, you know, and just yeah. kind of enjoy it, you know, ourselves. And, you know, it's just neat to see that, you know, one of our goals or the reasons for even doing this was we wanted to create our perfect 
hangout? What would we want it to be like if we could just design the, you know, the perfect place to go sit and have a beer? And so, you know, just to be able to sit and enjoy that, you know, is, is pretty rewarding. Yeah, man, that's, uh, that is cool. Not, not often do you get to create your own <laughs> favorite, <laughs> favorite hangout spot. So um, we've done a lot of research and development over the years. You know, it's our favorite thing to do is if we travel, uh, we have, a, we're, hopefully we're going to be traveling again soon. It's been a little while, but uh, is to just find, you know, unique places and fun restaurants and who's brewing locally and, and go check it out. And you, you know, you enjoy your beer and then you're like, I like this. I don't like this. Oh, we should mm. steal this. We should do this. And yeah, so we're, we get very inspired in, in those places. Well, no. So, I mean, we, we're looking at it a lot from the investor standpoint, you know, looking at small businesses, looking at, at, at startups or, or restaurants or breweries or whatever it is. And so hearing a business that thinks like that, or what can I go out and grab? How can I constantly evolve? But also how do I, um, do the, do the research on the front end? I mean, the fact that y'all looked at 60 different properties <laughs> before you settled on this one, that gives an investor, you know, a lot of confidence that, Hey, these people have thought through this and this is a really thoughtful, you know, execution of, whether it's a, it's a business model or a vision or, or whatever, whatever it is, um, that there's a lot of thought and, and heart put into it. I think that's so key for, for long-term success for any business. And so from an investor standpoint, I think that's, um, people, you know, people want to see that, that thoughtfulness mm -hmm. on the front end, but then also that mm -hmm. continuation and the learning and the development on the back right. end. Well, you know, it's, what's oh, kind yeah, of interesting. Yeah. You, you mentioning that too. It's like, cause I, I, I say we officially, you know, I started the business plan in 2014, but really to Nicole's point, kind of bringing it kind of full circle. I mean, we really started planning for this in 2003, you know, the first time I had a Sierra Nevada is probably was the seed that was planted that eventually became what we have now. So really it probably took 15 years mm -hmm. of, of just gathering information from all the places that we went, all the people that we talked to and, you know, and, and you sort of build on that and build on that. And all the while, you don't really know what you're pulling together and how it's going to come to fruition later. But, um, but, you know, there, you know, the, I think it was, I don't know who said Malcolm Gladwell said, you know, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Right. And so, you know, I think that, you know, so many times when people want to start a business, they, it's almost like they're trying too hard. It's like, they're like, I want to do this because of, you know, it, it sounds like it's a good business model. Whereas I think sometimes you just kind of have to go with where your life has taken you and, and pull together all those experiences it takes a really long time to build that foundation to have all those ideas and and then you start putting them on paper and then you start talking to people and getting a little bit more serious about it but you know yeah it, it can take a very long time yeah no that's so true um well i want to shift gears a little bit and go to something that you mentioned nicole um, when we talked before is that y'all source a lot of your your product um your ingredients um even even your waste <laughs> you have a, a local yeah. uh, focus with it um could you share a few ways that y'all do that and why that's that that's important to y'all sure yeah you know overall it's you know one we want to make the we, we want earth to be here for a long time and we're just grateful to be on it. And we wanna be good stewards of, of all those resources. And by keeping as much of what we source or who we work with local and regional, uh, we source a lot of our grain 
uh, regionally from the Southeast with a couple different based malt houses. And so that in turn is helping you know, local, small, privately owned farms, you know, across, you know, the Southeast, but then even, you know, closer to home with, you know, with our kitchen, you know, we have a lot of great local food partnerships where we're working with local bakers and uh, food hubs and farmers, you know, with livestock and vegetables and, and things like that. So if we, we know exactly I mean, they're literally like we know that that money is going towards families that live live in our community and they're running their own businesses too and trying to support support them and then yeah. also I mean, product is amazing <laughs> 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 beer's great the food's great and and so the quality the quality speaks for itself mm-hmm. and then we also do work with a commercial um like composting company we recycle our grains to a local farmer. So even our output and waste, uh, you know, we're not zero footprint or anything like that. Brewing is resource heavy, you know, and maybe one day we can have some kind of fancy lead certified brewery, which we don't, but we're doing the best we can <laughs> with the resources we have. Now, I think that is, that's super cool. And I've, I was actually just, we go to the farmer's market um, on Saturdays and get fresh produce. And I was just talking to my wife about that, how, you know, A, I love that it's, it's, providing income and and um and and jobs and and resources for local families within my community but the product's just awesome like i just (laughs) buy the strawberries and the peaches there because they just taste better (laughs) so even if it wasn't doing that so i love being able to do both and so um i think that's a that's a great way of looking at it because buying local isn't isn't all that great when the product sucks or when the service sucks but exactly i mean our top priority is to make sure that we're producing the best product we can so, you know, that's when we're evaluating where we're going to get stuff, whether it's for the beer or for the food, it's like the first thing is that it has to lead to a really great product on the end. And fortunately, like you guys are saying, I think it actually does when you're buying fresh ingredients that haven't traveled thousands and thousands yeah. of miles, it, ma- it makes a difference. You know, I mean, it's, it's tough to, to transport stuff long distances, mm-hmm. especially when you're talking about food products. And, and uh, so, yeah, so I think it, it's great that the two goals can actually you know, work together. In that Absolutely. Yeah. So what's y'all's advice? Um, you know, y'all are <laughs> many years into this, both through planning and through actual execution of the business. What's your advice to somebody who, who has a dream of starting their own business? They, they may be like you, Brian, they're dropping, jumping from job to job and they, they just are not happy. They, they know they want to do something, but they're not sure where to start. Where, where do they start? Um, first oh. off, it would be don't quit your day job too soon. Uh, <laughs> I've done that three times, basically. And, uh, you know, maybe not the best choice at the time. Although I will say that sometimes, um, you know, at least for me, it was hard to get motivated to get started on the planning process and to get all this stuff going. So a great motivator is to basically go all in and say, you know what, look, (laughs) I'm going to quit and I'm just going to go all in on this. And I have no choice but to make it happen. And uh, that's a great motivating factor. Although if you can motivate yourself and not do that, then I would recommend it. (laughs) Um, But, you know, to me, it goes back to something that, you know, I think you were mentioning Malcolm earlier in the conversation was that daily activity. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things that was, was really intimidating for me and and was a real, uh, barrier to me getting started was, you know, you have this vision of what you want to create, but 
it, when you start looking at the big picture, it's so overwhelming and you don't feel like you have all the answers and, you know, you probably don't even really know what the questions are, um, you know, to, to even answer yet. So it's, it's really just that daily activity. And one of the things that helped me was, um, you know, I, I had a, a coach that I worked with, his name is Bill Art, and he's like my Yoda. But he had me create a, uh, a journal where all I needed to do was do one or two things a day that would, that would apply towards the larger goal. And it doesn't matter if it's as small as writing one paragraph in the business plan, sending one email to a bank to maybe get a, try to schedule a meeting or whatever it is, and, but then write it down. And then what you start to notice over the weeks and months is like, you look and you're like, man, I've really done a lot. And you can go back and look at the progress you've made. And that really helps mm -hmm. build your confidence in the process going forward that you don't necessarily need to have all the answers right away. And the process is going to evolve, but just let it go. Mm -hmm. And you may need to change directions a little bit. Um, you know, you may think, well, we want to go in this direction, but maybe we just need to move a few degrees over this way. Because, um, you know, I think it's that, um, it's that sustained action over time yields results. And you just have to give yourself that time and stay and just persevere to towards it. And as long as you don't stop and just keep doing actions every day, then it'll build up and, and you'll eventually get there. Yeah. No, I love that maintaining momentum with, with just mm -hmm. little, little actions. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, um, last but not least, uh, you know, y'all's vision for, for Fireforge. I'd love to hear, you know, what y'all feel like is, is next. What's, the, what's the future for, for y'all in Fireforge? Well, I'm not sure how each of us is going to answer this, <laughs> but I'll, I'll talk about it short term. <laughs> you know, we are continuing to, to rebound from uh, and grow, you know, despite all the craziness from last year, like I said, we're, we're growing, but I think we're just trying to restabilize and get as financially fit as possible to then be poised and prepared to pick the next path. Mm. You know, there are a couple different ways the company could grow, um, whether it's multiple smaller locations or perhaps a larger location somewhere else with a, you know, a larger production facility. So th there are a couple different ways we could go. And we, we, I don't think we, we might just have to flip a coin at some point, <laughs> but it's really for right now is to just get, just get really tight with, uh, with, with, with the financials and hopefully that'll give us a solid foundation to make a really fun decision. Cause we just want to create places we want to hang out <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and give people new experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, it's pretty similar actually. Okay. Um, yeah. To Nicole's point, you know, I think in the short term, it's just get, get on the good foot in the words of James Brown and um, you know, just try to, Restabilize, you know, the company. Uh, you know, I think we're we're definitely on that track, and just have a really great 2021, mm -hmm. and uh, and then that'll sort of pave the way going forward. And I think, you know, the one thing that you know we love our location in downtown Greenville. You know, when people come into town, you know, we're getting so many visitors now that you know it's it's awesome to see people that are you know tourists that are coming through, and, and we pop up on their searches, and we love being you know part of the, the face of the community in that respect. Um, but by the nature of where we are, there's not a lot of room to play. Um, you know, there's not much room to grow. 
And uh, I mean, literally, you know, outside of the walls, it's, you know, the property line is like six inches off the wall. So, um, you know, I think it would be, it, we'd really like to, to create a larger playground, um, you know, and have more space to do some, some cool things and to, to do things that we can't do downtown. Um, you know, and to create there are rules and stuff. Yeah, they it's so weird. They <laughs> have, there's governments and and permitting and ordinances, and we don't we don't really do as well with rules, which is one reason why we uh, we did this. Um, we like to create our own rules um, for better or worse, and uh, you know, so I think it's you know maybe maybe trying to find a place where we can have a little more freedom to to create cool spaces and, and do some stuff that's uh, really neat and unique to, to us and what we enjoy doing. Awesome. Yeah. Well, whether it's just creating more awesome beer or um, creating an adult playground somewhere uh, around the city, um, I'm, I'm excited to see what y'all do and, and love the love what y'all have done so far. I love your philosophy on, on your business and appreciate y'all sharing with us today. Yeah, oh, thank you, it's our pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Malcolm. And there you have it. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Invest Local Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving a review and feel free to follow us on any of our social media platforms. And don't forget to tune in next week for more local stories.